0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author and residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and my colleague and my co-host Ross Ferguson. Hey, hey, How hey! How are you, man? Mailbag
1: time. Always love these questions. The uh, do you do you always love the questions? Well, oh, yeah. Maybe overstating things a bit. I mean. I do. Sometimes I just answer them with one word and we move on. Okay. All right. Because, so you uh, love some differently than others? Yeah. Okay. Some of them I'm like, this is a ridiculous question. The difficult Here's the doctrine answer. of the love of Ross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are in this spring semester. Yeah, we are. We are the recording of this episode. We are yet to be in the same room together in a class. <laughs> yeah. um, so let me ask you this uh, How's it been having me in class oh, while well, you teach? Uh, writing for the church. Well, I've had you in class before,
0: <laughs> once before, and you warned me that another professor, like warned you yes. about being too talkative. Yes, and I think you really took that to heart because you were not super talkative in that class. Even though I would have been
1: more open to it, I've no. now given up on that. By okay. the way, You're I just talk. I just talk all just the time. Being you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, um, I realized that was a professor issue,
1: not my issue. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the writing class, yeah. So i I think it's fine. I'm gonna pre, I'm gonna predict that it's going smoothly, okay. And that you're a joy to have in class. Okay, thank
1: you. I appreciate. <laughs> now we'll that. see when the first grades start coming in, you know how how <laughs> joyful it is for either one of us. Yeah, the next The next podcast uh, will be <laughs> so I'm not doing that well in your class. <laughs> Let's talk about that. No, it's uh, it's it'd be a it's a tough class to do poorly in. Okay, um, that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, as if, if, if people are making effort, I yeah. had to laugh because I got a message from someone saying, "Hey, can you take me to the airport on on this Thursday?" I was like, "Sure." Do you also want me to take notes for the class that you're going to miss as well on the oh, Thursday, which is writing wow. for the church? And he did did go, yeah. I booked it before, so I'm going. I'm not going to say the name on the air, but if he listens, I think it's a student who emailed me and said mm. I'm going to be gone the first week of class. Yeah. I was like, well, that's very convenient for you because you're also going to be and away I'm going to the, be second gone week. the second week. So, so his I first two, give him two weeks, weeks. No. <laughs> no, I've actually got started my reading already, and what I'm saying, what I'm going to say is, yeah. I really need this class because I don't have a clue <laughs> half the stuff, you know. So, yeah. well, speaking of struggles, okay.
0: This is the first question in our yeah. in our mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue, you like that transition. I'm just looking at. Yeah, we got a good crop of questions. These are actually a little more. So I noticed there's two things. There's not a light question among them. No, normally there's somewhat. I mean, there's some that are a little easier than others, but normally we've got a couple of lighthearted type things, and this time the lighthearted ones were just garbage, and I just threw them out entirely. Yeah. So they're all pretty heavy, and they're also very pastoral-oriented. So this is really kind of a pastor-heavy. Hopefully, if you're listening and you're not a pastor, you don't tune out. but Because there'll be some good insights for you. But a lot of questions from pastors about things pertaining to pastoral ministry, which is okay. This comes from Bob on Twitter. Bob says, how do you triage ministry struggles in your church? As a solo pastor, where do you turn your eyes and focus when multiple ministry areas need Mm. concern, need attention? It's a good question. It's Kind of a broad question, yeah. I'm thinking of so he, he he gives the specifics of a solo pastor, thinking of a solo pastor who has he's overseeing everything in the church, how do you know what to put yeah. first, second, third, et cetera. What becomes priority? My answer first of all, is that the the top priority are things related to the Sunday gathering in terms of like your your programming planning. If you're looking at like ministry areas, I also think leadership development. Because Mm -hmm. leadership development will help over time offset you're having to do
1: everything. You need a team. Uh, It's quite trite to say that but you do, you need people to help you. Yeah. I, I was thinking just very practically. So this is just a piece of advice that that I used to do. So I agree with Jared, Sunday ministry is, is kind of top priority. I think deaths, marriages, baptisms, you know, kind of th- those go to the top. But I'm thinking just like day-to-day practically. So this is something I used to think about. If it can be dealt with with a phone call and an email, I do them immediately. So I, I just don't, don't let them build up. So if there's a ministry struggle that's happened, somebody's just said, hey, you know, can't get into this room. I don't know where the key is. Just just get on it, deal with it. Email, communication, nice and quick. But if it needs a face-to-face, those are actually the things that I tend to push towards the, the back end of the day or the week because I want some time with that individual. So if it's a quick ministry issue... Just get on that and get on top of it quickly. I I, I think it was Kevin DeYoung that wrote, stop making lists of emails you need to send, just send the email. (laughs) Because the time (laughs) you're wasting in making the list can be put towards actually doing the email. So if it's just emails, text calls, just get them done. If it's face-to-face and somebody actually needs some of your attention, start planning out and, and calendarize time for that. Second thing, dig below the surface of some of the more common issues So if you're seeing it's a a fairly common issue, you're getting complaints or issues with the kind of toddler group on the Wednesday or the the midweek prayer meeting or something, dig behind why those issues keep coming up. Because what you might find is your quick fixes are actually plaguing you and you need a, a deeper resolve. So you're going to need to calendarize maybe a week to think, why do we keep having issues with, you know, this ministry? And what you might find is, Actually, quick communication just really isn't cutting it. You're going to have to make a major change. Yeah. So I personally calendarized all of that. So I would even put in my calendar, you know, two hours a week of, I called it thinking time, which was I would literally just put down the ministries and, and, and I would just sit there for a couple hours and think, what's going on here? So I would calendarize personally everything. And that really helped me stay on top of things.
0: Yeah. One one thing that can happen in the midst of, you know, triaging your your work week here as you prioritize the things that are necessary for pastoral ministry so prayer ministry of the word Mm -hmm. pastoral care everything below that these certain ministry areas and that's kind of kind of how i understood the question maybe i'm misunderstanding the question but i'm thinking of like programs that need oversight troubleshooting demands on your time outside of the normal stuff the way that you would triage those sometimes is the priorities will, will out either someone who can actually take that for you. Yeah, someone comes to you, hey, we're really struggling in this area. Da da da. da. Like, well, do you need authority? Yeah, a person to actually take that. You know, yeah. maybe I don't need to have, you know, my fingers in every single. Yeah, you know, and and the the problem itself kind of outs the solution mm-hmm. through someone who's acting as the as the reporter of it. But again, I think developing ministers like one book I would recommend is uh, The Charles and the Vine. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've read that. With Payne and Marshall, I think are the author's names. And that book really rubbed me the wrong way first time I read it because Mm -hmm. it essentially is telling you to prioritize more mature leaders. And I know this isn't always possible and I don't think it's always preferable, but there's a logic to it because what it means is if you're pouring into those who are maturing or just sort of, it's weird to speak of it this way, but a little bit below you, I guess, on the you know, spiritual maturity ladder, no one else can pour into them. Mm -hmm. You're the one who's furthest along to be able to pour into people who are aspiring to leadership positions and those sorts of things. Those who are newer believers, someone further along than them can pour into them. So prioritizing your time that way actually can be effective and help the church all receive the ministry that it needs to. Mm -hmm. Rather than you trying to do everything for everyone at every level, this is actually beneficial to the church. So I'd recommend that book as well, Mm -hmm. Bob. I don't know if you've read that, but check out the trellis and, and the vine. And hopefully that answer was helpful to you. This comes from Les on Facebook. Les asks, thoughts on visitors? First impressions? And that's it. There's that's nothing it. nothing specific about it. Yeah. Um, visitors are good? Yep. First impressions should be good too? Yep.
1: I remember <laughs> yeah. uh, Tom Rayner talked about this, uh, that first impressions are really important. If you get them wrong, yeah. visitors tend not to come back to your church. And he said there's three things that people are welcomed in before they even step foot in the building. And that is the website or social media, the parking lot and the front door okay If they've had a bad first impression on any of those three, they're unlikely to return and and you have a big uphill climb in the service to 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 counteract those negatives. The thing is, though, we have to be really careful not to become attractional, and we're just trying to do everything <laughs> to make every visitor feel happy. Yeah. At the same time, we shouldn't shoot ourselves in the foot over just silly things. So here's my very quick list of, of things you want to be thinking about when for our first impressions. Have your church door open when people arrive, so they're actually excited to realize the church is open, not dead, closed building. Have greeters that actually greet, not just stand there. <laughs> you know, you actually want to say, hey, welcome to church. Yeah. You know, have refreshments. They're always helpful for just a uh, aiding conversation. Instruct your people and teach your people, encourage them to sit next to other people on Sunday mornings. If they don't recognize someone, get them to go and sit with them, organize welcoming lunches, and make sure you explain your services. So if you're going to do communion, if you're going to do a, a different style of worship, so whatever, explain that to visitors that are, might be in the room. So what I'm g- kind of saying is, yes, think through it. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't do silly things that will just cause people to go away, but also just don't put too much stock into it. The Lord brings through his spirit the encouragement for people to come to the church, it will be the spirit that keeps them in the church as well.
0: Les, I'm going to point you to a blog post on the For the Church website. So if you go to ftc.co, this is a blog post. Uh, I love Tom Rayner, but I love Jared C. Wilson as well. <laughs> and there's a post from myself from 2016. It's called, Do Visitors to Your Church Really Feel Welcome?" Do visitors to your church really feel welcome? And I provide a five-step visitor hospitality checklist. All right, Mr. 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 Pragmatic pragmatic myself. (laughs) Yeah, uh, your five-step visitor hospitality checklist. There's a lot of uh, explanation and detail there, so I'm not going to obviously read the whole thing, but I'll just read you these questions. The first question is, do you have visible, prominent, clear, and helpful signage? In other words, people know where to go when mm-hmm. they show up. This is something. So I noticed this. You Maybe you, you notice this because we travel around to different churches. Yep. You know, I notice it walking in. I'm like, where's the front? Is yep. this the front door? Like is sometimes like, door. I don't even know where the front yep. door is. Yep. Uh, is this the door I should go into or is this the, you know. So like directing people. And then once you're in there, where's the children's area? Where's yep. the bathroom? Where's the, all these sorts of things. Like, do you have signage that's clear? The people, you know, and, and a lot of folks in churches they don't even think about this nope. because they've been in that church forever and everyone else has too and so everyone knows where everything is but your visitors don't yeah. and you're you're having to put the you know the pressure on them and have to ask somebody you know where everything is or where do I go those sorts of things so have clear prominent and helpful signage i will tell you that one thing that i find unhelpful signage is directional signs that has like 20 things on them. So you're having <laughs> yeah. to sort through like some index of, yeah. maybe you don't need to have 20 things on every sign pointing with the different arrows, but just education area or Sunday school class area or something like that. So I know, like, oh, go yeah. to that area. And then as I'm walking down that, yeah. now there's something more detailed.
1: Like to just be thinking through the process. And have the arrows point in the right direction. Well, I'm, of I'm not kidding you. I went to church yeah. in November the arrows were the wrong direction. Oh no! I'm like going down a line. Oh no, no, you oh, need to go the changed other way. Locations. They, and they didn't said they changed, their changed location. they haven't changed their sign. I was like, yeah. come on.
0: Uh, so, second question: Do you have greeters yeah. who are both welcoming and informed? Oh yeah. So some churches struggle. They have the greeters who they just stand there. Maybe they open the door for you, but are they happy to see you? Who knows? Greeters who are that who will smile, who will say good morning, et cetera. But I, informed also. So as visitors come in, they'll say. You know, hey, where would I find this or where do I find that? And the greeter's like, oh, I don't know. Let me, yeah. you know. And you know, on some in some instances, that's fine. They'll you know, find somebody who is informed. But do your best to like have your greeters know, for instance, where people should take their children if they yeah. want to know. You know, to be able to answer correctly if they say, Are my children okay in the service? Right. Because some greeters may be like, oh, we have childcare. But uh, an informed greeter at our church, for instance, would say, we have childcare, but you're welcome to bring your children to the service as well. That's the correct answer, right? So people, you know, feel free to, you know, um, utilize either way. Some information that they're somewhat informed. Thirdly, I ask, do you make visitors feel conspicuous in the worship service? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to explain that you should minimize the ways you make your visitors feel conspicuous. Don't make your visitors stand up. Don't make your visitors raise their hand. Don't make your visitors introduce themselves. I've been at churches where they're like, oh, you raise your hand. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm like, man. oh, nobody wants that experience. Well, some people do
1: and those are the people that you don't want talking probably in the, I had, in the service. I <laughs> had one church that said, raise your hand if you're new today. And we, you know, me yeah. and my wife raised our hands. And then out of nowhere, two church members, like, burst in front of us and said, here's your welcome bags. And we got, like, oh, in the middle of the service, the service, the welcome bags. And we're just smiling, going, uh, thank you. We're not planning on coming uh, back. But. <laughs> I grew up in a church that had uh, these red
0: badges that said visitor oh, on them. And no. so you'd walk around, almost like this scarlet <laughs> V, the visitor oh, you know, no. thing that you'd paste on your shirt. I can't believe anyone ever thought that was a good idea. Yeah. So finding the line between welcoming, hospitable, and making people feel very conspicuous. Mm-hmm. Most visitors, I think, even if they want to feel greeted, they want to feel welcome, they want to feel like you're happy that they're there. They also want to be somewhat anonymous because they're observing yeah. and 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 those sorts of things. The fourth question is just, do you welcome your guests at all? <laughs> <laughs> and in that section of the blog post, I work through sort of like acknowledging visitors in uh, in the service, right? You know, that you're conscious of the fact that there are people in your church who uh, may be first-time guests or or second-time guests. Having a process for visitors, right? So we have a, what's, uh, the New Year card. The New Year card. Some people have like a visitor card or we just want a record of your visit, something like that. So you're actually welcoming them and then some sort of request for, for contact um, information that's delivered in a, a gentle way. Yeah. And an assuring way that like we're not going to misuse this information, those sorts of things. And then this is something I add. This is kind of a preferential thing. When I'm hosting the offering or introducing the offering, I like to make the request that guests not feel compelled to give. Some people, they—that's just—it's no big deal. But others, especially people who maybe don't have church background or they're somewhat hesitant about church background, even just pastoring around an offering plate and their mind is like, oh, like, you know, of course, they're about the money or— or they just feel conspicuous that they can't, they're not able to give. Yeah. Do I f- look weird if I don't put something in here or something? Being able to put them at ease and say, hey, this is for our members, regular tenders. Uh, you don't need yeah. to feel compelled to give, just be our guest today. I've tried to make that a habit when I lead the offering time. And then uh, the fifth and final question is do you appropriately follow up with visitors? So yeah. is there an unpressured but still hospitable means of following up to say, thank you for your visit? Yeah. If you'd like more information, can we connect you with the pastor? you know, those sorts of things
1: that you have good and sort of clear and soon follow up. Yeah. Even if it's people from out of town. So we went to Colorado, we were doing a road trip, visited a church. They sent us a letter, maybe a week or two afterwards, had noted down elements of conversation, you know, praying for you as you go into your next semester, you know, and just even that reminded me of, they're not just doing this to try and get me into their church. They're doing this because genuinely they love the fact that brothers and sisters can go to different churches when they're on holiday. So That's good.
0: Yeah, so if you want uh, a lot more information, you can go to Do Visitors to Your Church Really Feel Welcome. Again, that's on the For the Church website, ftc.co. And thank you, Les, for the question. This comes from Brad on Twitter. Brad says, any thoughts on the importance of pastoral vision, say, for a new year in the church? Understanding, of course, that Jesus is always the vision. The gospel is of first importance. But for the membership, how important is it to have a mm. particular focus for a season? So for the, members, he so reads. Like,
1: like a tagline or like hey, a this year. This we're going to focus yeah. on
0: evangelism. Yeah, this year exactly. we're going to focus on et cetera. Um, my answer is really short to this. How important is it? I mean, it depends on your church. I don't think it's super important mm-hmm. that you have some particular emphasis. But some churches in yep. different seasons could be helped by this. And so— Yep. Sure, go for it. I don't think yeah, there's anything wrong I, with it per se.
1: I thought the same. It can be helpful. So, one year in our church, uh, last church, uh, we did that we were going to be outrageously generous. Oh, wow. We had noticed uh, as a church, we had just kind of become a bit stingy with our money. And so, we were saying that every single thing that was financial in this coming year, we're going to think about what does it mean to be outrageously generous as Christ was outrageously generous in giving his life and we found it helpful as a church. It it really did help us in our giving. One thing I would say though is just caveat, if if you are going to do a vision, just make sure it doesn't become an idol. So it wasn't just the, you know, we've hit this target, we need to get this thing or every Sunday, you know, our vision this year is If you say it more than you're saying Jesus, is becoming an idol. (laughs) So even at one point, I remember one situation, I actually said, I think being outrageously generous in this situation is X amount. And someone said, oh, no, it needs to be more. And I said, no, it doesn't need to be more just for the sake of our vision statement. This seems appropriate. So just make sure you're not moving into idolizing your vision. But yep, it can be helpful, but yeah. Plenty of healthy churches don't do it. So. Right. Yeah. The other
0: danger that I just sort of noted is if every year you've got a different one or every season. Yeah, it say, dilutes it, vision, it. division division, division. Yeah. It's sort of like we're just hopping around yeah. whatever's you know, yeah. striking our fancy. And, 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 and in some ways, the more of those you have, the diminishing returns, each one sort of devalues yeah. every other one that you've got. So just be careful with this, the things that you want to emphasize. Make sure that it really is something like, man, our church needs to move into this yeah. uh, emphasis in, in this particular season. And that's something that needs to— be a, a, an adopted value for yep. us for life. That's yes. why we're emphasizing it. Yes. Not just so that, oh, we've got a purpose this yeah. you know, season. After this year, we've People completed it. People get vision it. fatigue yeah. If, yeah. You, if you you're just constantly, hey, this year we're going to do this, and this year we're mm. going to do that, you know that, and so on and so forth. So just be careful about that. Taylor on Facebook says, well, he had a long question that I've sort of <laughs> distilled down to. Church planting versus church revitalization. What's more important? How do you know when to do yeah. which? That was kind of the gist of his question. How do you know when to plant versus revitalize, et cetera? I, got, I think this
1: really depends on the person. I got a really short answer to okay. this one. What's your short answer? If there is no church in the area, church planting. Oh <laughs> well. Okay. If there is a church in the area, revitalization.
0: Okay, but would you say you shouldn't plant if there is a church in the area that needs revitalization? Correct. Because okay, I, I I don't agree. Be, depending on the person, because I think there are some folks that just they they know themselves well. To, you know, to say I, I don't have the. Um, the wiring for taking something that exists yeah. and ref- bringing reform. Then go somewhere else. More of a starter.
1: <laughs> so they shouldn't plant in that area. I'm saying if you are really into <laughs> church planting and you're saying yeah. there's a church here that could be revitalized, great. Call on someone to revitalize and go somewhere else. <laughs> That's very cut and dry and very short. Yep. Okay. What if, you're,
0: <laughs> what if you believe the Lord's calling you to that area? You have a heart for that area. Then you grew revitalize up in the, that church grew and pray in for the skills. But what if, okay. I disagree with Ross, for those who are listening, <laughs> because I think different people are called to yeah. different things and wired for different things. And I think just because you're, you know, if you're more of a planter than you are a revitalizer, at least you've, you, you have the wiring and assessment helps with this regard. Yeah. No one needs to, you know, determine this or assess themselves in a vacuum and the, and those sorts of things. But there are people who can help say, hey, we think you've got the entrepreneurial um, spirit, uh, super evangelistic, et cetera. Um, all the things that go into making a a, mm. a good church planter, good church, you know, you know, church planter, but for them, for that person to say like, "Hey, I'm from, I don't know, Hanover, New Hampshire, yeah. and so I want to plant a church there." Well, there's already a church and needed a revitalization. Well, I'm, I don't think I'm
1: called to revitalize. Yeah. Well, then you shouldn't go to Hanover, New Hampshire. I, well, that doesn't make sense, yeah, man. I think I'm just, my issue is, uh, <laughs> and again, this is actually cultural. American church planting is quite different from UK church planting as well. The truth um, is we need both, plants and revitalization. We do. I think my issue is I just don't want a bunch of churches in one area. And okay. e- even in Kansas City, uh, there's a local church e- here even. They've church planted in an area that already had a church plant, already had a church that needed revitalized, and they're now meeting in a church- that needs to be revitalized. And you're just like, don't plant a church if we don't need to plant a church. Yeah. We don't need an another church. Well, here's the other counterpoint to that, which is uh, a lot of the data is showing that church
0: plants see more evangelistic fruit than the existing
1: churches. Oh, I don't know if Mark Clifton would agree with that. No, he wouldn't. Well, I'm just thinking oh, well, all of all of these... You agree with the data or you
0: don't agree with the data. Well, it's right.
1: much more Mark Clifton's uh, big on the... He's the a church revitalization He's a church revitalization yeah. and... Uh, but I don't
0: think we should pit one against the
1: other. No, and that's why I'm saying if there is a church, <laughs> revitalize and if there's not plan. But that's pitting one against another. Okay, do I ever? That's saying one say. is better than the other. I, I I'm saying if a
0: guy isn't called to one, you're saying it...
1: Yeah, I, I think what we're saying here is if you're, if you're called to an area... Yeah. then you're playing to your skill set, if you will. But if you're not called to an area and you're just saying, hey, I really believe in church planting, great, okay. don't go somewhere where there's a church that needs to be revitalized. Okay, I can get on more with that. I, and I, I'm softening yeah. my answer because <laughs> I want the <a> listener's <laughs> That makes more sense. Me. But if, if you're also, I'm called to, re, like I believe I'm yeah. revitalization, I, I, that's kind of my background. I wouldn't go to an area that a church plant has just kind of developed and it's going, going, right, I'm going to revitalize the church next door. I'm going to go somewhere where the gospel isn't really being preached anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm saying is we need to stop just going to one little area, planting and revitalizing. Yeah. Go places. It's amazing how many people are called to church well, planting, but don't go to the roughest of the roughest yeah, areas. That's true. The, Sorry, the, I'm getting the, the out. of X fa- here. The
0: X factor here is... We're assuming that every church in need of revitalization is open to revitalization. Yeah, I will do. And Dr. Clifton would uh, would, would certainly affirm that if you don't have a congregation uh, such as it is, whatever the remnant of congregation, that it's willing to make the changes that are necessary. It's a a non-starter. So sometimes you plant because the church in need of revitalization, they're not interested in in that. So I'm thinking of like my own context in in New England. So in Vermont, there was a town one— just a, f- a few miles down the road from us. It was a little bit larger than our town. There was a college there and everything. It was a very strategic uh, you know, place for our rural mm-hmm. uh, context. There were a couple of churches existing there that had like six or seven folks in them, yeah. and they were in need of revitalization. They also were run by very prog- liberal-minded folks yeah. who the last pastor they wanted to hire was, you know, lesbian minister or yeah. something. And and they definitely needed to be revitalized, but they were not open to that. Yeah. So when guys came to the area and they looked at that town and said, man, there's a college here. Yeah. It's a growing area. We need you know, witness for the gospel. They needed to plant because yeah. they didn't have the, you know, the openness to revitalization yeah. there. If we were to broad brush, and that's really all we can do in a short answer on a podcast, church planters tend to be, again, I'm broad brushing here. There's certainly overlap. Church planters tend to be more entrepreneurial, builders, fast starters, more evangelistic. Every pastor should be evangelistic. Don't hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But they tend to be more evangelistically gifted, et cetera. Church revitalization, those folks tend to be a little more plotters. They tend to have more of a, well, I'll say patience. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm not trying to say church planters should be impatient or are impatient, but they they tend to have a little more Mm -hmm. longevity in terms of how long they'll let things take. Because church re- revitalization is a longer yeah. work. It, it's, it's not a fast, you know, moving thing. You're not building yeah. something. You're trying to breathe life into something or at least organize the place in such a way that the Holy Spirit is breathing new life into the thing. It, it really is different wiring. Yeah. And some guys can do both and some guys have done both. I'm laughing because— In some ways
1: I've done both, but I, I'm not a church—I've planted a church, yeah. but I don't think I have the wiring of, a, of no. a church planter. Although what you just described as a church planter— I felt, oh, that sounds like me, and I hmm. do revitalization. And what you <laughs> what you described as revitalization, I was like, that's not me. <laughs> so that, that might, takes all kinds. I might have to go and think, rethink ministry now. So, <laughs> no, no. Well, no, I, I agree yeah, though. I, I think I think what we're getting at is it's a it's a both and situation. I think my hobby horse is just really, really, genuinely think. Does this area really need another church? Yeah. Or does it need, uh, and and so somewhere like Kansas City, in certain areas of Kansas City, we don't need another church. We need more help, finances, uh, and abilities in the churches that are already there. So just really Uh, think
0: about it. And here's the thing, if you're going to plant because you don't think you have the patience or the pastoral fortitude to revitalize, you better get those skills fast anyway because your plant at some point isn't going to be new anymore. It'll be an established church, and unless you're the kind of guy who just moves on and plants all over the place, you're going to be pastoring an, uh, an established church after a while. So yep. you're going to need those yep. uh, Those qualities. This comes from Matt on Twitter. Matt says, what's the ideal spread? <laughs> I just like that word. It sounds like butter or something, <laughs> margarine. What's the ideal spread for worship song selection in regards to the age of songs? If a church wants to reach a younger population, should it prioritize updating songs? If so, how would a pastor shepherd well in this situation? I've got a short answer to this, which is, I don't think the age of the song
1: matters. And I think (laughs) it matters less so to younger people now than it used to. I've literally, this is what I've written. Matt, (laughs) I I don't care of the age of the song. (laughs) Don't prioritize modern over older or older over modern. It's not really a matter of consideration. Consider two things, theology, congregational ability to sing it is us that causes the younger generation a problem when we talk about age of songs.
0: Yeah, I do think like contextually, so I I'll, I'll give it a I mean, and this is a preference thing. I'll I'll um I would rather a song a good sort of like Christ-centered worship song written in the last couple of years mm. or a good Christ-centered worship song hymn written 200 years ago than I would some of the worship stuff from like the late 80s and in the 90s. Yeah, which I know, I'm again this is a preferential thing I suppose some of it assuming the theology is, is yeah. good some of it just the stuff that sounds dated to me well, is like, not the old hymns the stuff, yeah. the stuff that sounds dated to me like, are these sort of 90s praise like, band Graham Kendrick type I, era. I I don't know names but okay. yeah it's stuff that like the praise team yeah. would do in the churches I was growing up that feels dated yeah. to me more than a hymn yeah. does and I I think younger people in churches now they don't have as big a hang up yeah. as uh, about this, as some folks do, if this question is coming up among younger people, yeah. it's likely yeah. younger people who, in their student ministry, are yeah. hearing particularly kind of, you know, concert-type yeah. music, and they don't like that. That's not the case in the worship service. Yeah. You just need to be able to pastor yeah. well in terms of, um, yeah, reaching generational unity that, yeah. as 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 Ross said, the chief considerations of a song are, that, is the theology good? is it singable yeah and i think there's some contextual things that matter but they don't
1: matter near as as much as those things i think this is just a red herring issue that actually what it boils down to is the the stuff you hear on k-love and different things like that will rarely transition into a church setting to be able to sing as a congregation so my question would just simply be if you have a younger population that you think are going to be reached by youthful young songs To me, and I don't think this is Matt, I'm just saying I think this issue, it's just a nonsense issue. We're not going to reach young people by putting young songs in. That's not how you reach (laughs) young people. It'd be also the same as the only way we can reach 70-year-olds and and above is to sing older hymns. It's just not true. Mm. It it comes down to, as you as a church family, you know, was it In Christ Alone is like 30 years old or something like that, 25 years, 30 years old, is deemed as a modern hymn. Well, to 18-year-olds coming to church now, it was written before they were born. So yeah. to them, it's old. I, I just think, take the age thing completely out of it. We shouldn't even talk about it. Don't say, oh, we're going to sing an older hymn today. No, just don't Don't even use that phraseology. Just say yeah. these beautiful words written 200 <laughs> years ago, yet still equivalent. You know, we just need to really think about what we're doing. But yeah, Matt, personally, this it's, is a non-issue. It's always so jarring to me when I travel for different
0: things, in particular like student ministry events. So I was recently speaking at a student conference and yeah, they had the, they had the, you know, they had the rock and band and the lights were down or like the house lights were down. They had color lights and they had, you know, lighting design. And I don't think there was hazers smoke or anything, but it, it was that vibe and the songs, they didn't, you know, half of them didn't really. do yeah. They were weird. I was like, "Are we singing to Jesus? Or are we singing to a boyfriend or girlfriend?" Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was that. Yep. It was the yep. the very kind of cliched version of that, and it's always jarring to me. For some people, that's just normal. Like they don't walk yeah. into that and go, "This is weird," because this is what their yep. their church is like and what their are, you know youth ministry is like, and it just doesn't. But to come out of like Liberty Baptist Church and w- walk that into that and go, yep. "Oh, this is really weird," yep. you know at our church, the lights are, are on. You can yeah. see everybody. Yeah. The, the band is good and, and audible, but you, the, 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 the the volume you hear of the congregation, congregation. Yeah, yeah. you hear people singing. Yeah. And we, there's no, we do newer songs. We do old songs, yeah. including old hymns, yeah. old, old hymns. And there, it's not like we're 90%, 80 year old people, you yeah. know, um, there's yeah. a lot of young people at our yeah. church. So I think you're right. This, Assumption that you need new songs to
1: reach younger people is kind of and actually often you will do a detriment to the attraction of new new people. So I know of a church where they only really sing modern songs. I would say they're probably sixty percent older people, and because the older people don't know the songs, they don't sing those songs. So you have this dreary singing of a modern song. Wow, that sounds so attractional. So let's come to this church because they've got the modern songs. Well, are you actually singing them? For me, it's a big one off. Let's get the volume of the 50, 100, 200, 300, 400 members, whatever it is. Strip everything back and go, you're standing before your Lord Jesus Christ. These words mean something. If it's old, fine. If it's new, fine. It's good. Can I pause our uh, episode? This is the first time I've ever done this. Okay. Okay. You want me to No, no, I'm not saying pause the button. I'm going to pause our conversation on the mailbag. Okay. And I'm going to show you something that's just popped up on my phone. (laughs) And I've never done this before. All right. So this is a first. I'm nervous. Do you want to read what BBC News has just told me? Bill Belichick. The
0: Oh, no, your thing went away. There you go. The six-time Super Bowl winning head coach will leave the New England Patriots after almost 24 years in charge. Well, I want to know the details. Was he fired? Was, is was he resigning? Live
1: feedback. Is he going somewhere else? Who is knows? Is he retiring? But I just wow. thought I had, to, I had to show you because you're a Patriots fan. So yeah.
0: well, that's, well.
1: So a miserable last a bit of the episode now. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. This comes from Joe, who was not on social media. Joe
0: is a guy I met in a recent okay. speaking engagement. He's a young man who is attending trade school, and he was driving me to the airport. We had about oh, an cool. hour-long drive, and we had some good conversation about life, and he's a newlywed, and he asked me, you know, how do you know you're called to ministry? Mm. And it's a very common question. I don't know that it's necessarily specific yeah. to Joe, um, but I thought this is a good question for the podcast, probably. How yeah. does somebody know they're called to
1: ministry? I think your book, uh, Gospel Driven Ministry. That's a good answer your uh, my book. Yep, yeah, your good. book. Uh, you actually do cover it uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty clearly in that. And the, the kind of one that I always remember is the internal and external calling. Yeah. Uh, the internal calling is that, that you just know that God is leading you into that that there's it's it's not necessarily like an audible moment where God has said you will do this but but you can in your prayer life your your spiritual life you're you're getting that guidance from the spirit to say you should maybe do that for me it was just a clear dissatisfaction of mm-hmm. things of this world jobs of this world and a satisfaction that a driving force internal force to do it then there's the external calling where there's those in your own local church um or or kind of mentors that are coming to you going, I, I, I'm seeing something in this, in you. I think you should be doing this in, in, in church. Um, so that internal and external, and then for me, and then I'll kind of pass it over to you, that internal and external then moves into actually doing it. So yeah. I often say to people, how do I know that I'm called to ministry? Well, you do it. Uh, and I don't know that <laughs> yeah. sounds so contrite and yeah. kind of just throwing out there, but I've known guys that have said, oh, I'm wrestling with my call to ministry. Well, have you done any? No, for eight years I've had this wrestle. You might need to just jump in and just yeah. just do it. Preach yeah. some sermons, see what happens. And I think sometimes we can get in a, in the way of our calling. We wrestle with it for so long that we're so confused. If you're sitting there going, "Well, that internal, I've been feeling that for a while. External, actually, recently, just somebody said this to me. Okay, go and do it. Go go and see. Ask your church. Can can I? Yeah. Can I try something? I'm not sure. Um, if you're missing one element, internal, external, or just do it. Pray over that because it might just be that it's coming. But if you're missing two, if if all this seems odd, then yeah. I think you just have a nice thought about ministry. And yeah. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying I don't think that's a calling. I think that's just a nice thought.
0: Yeah, I agree. The the internal call is, is an important aspiration. And it doesn't have to like you said, it doesn't have to be some kind of super you know, supernatural, no. divine. The heavenly light shone down, and this was the call to ministry. <laughs> it could very easily yeah. be, you know, as the scriptures say, the the person who aspires to pastoring desires a noble task. Yeah. Like, you just have an internal aspiration to this thing. And that's totally fine, especially if it's something—it's not just this uh, random idea you had once, but, like, it's persistent. Mm. I, I I think I aspire to this. Uh, but the external call is important because it's, it's people affirming, hey, we sense this yeah. in your life. You have these gifts. You have— we think you should think about this. We want to help you train for this. We want to invest in you. Those sorts of things. If you have one without the other, you end up with a different sort of yeah. problems. Um, you know, people who um, have no external call but have an internal call tend to uh, end up at places where they haven't been trained or they haven't been discipled or they're they're on their own authority. They're not sent or commissioned in 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 some way. We have a number. Of guys who yep. they run like, you know, Lone Rangers. You know, yep. there's not a church affirmation of them. On the other hand, if you have someone who like externally, people, you know, the external call, but no internal call, yeah. you got people whose arms have been twisted into ministry yep. and they're there because people said they should do it. Yeah. And, um, Peter says, do not pastor out of compulsion. Don't shepherd out of compulsion. Mm. Um, there's a number of problems that can arise there as well. But as it, you know, like you said, you know, sometimes if the Lord's put it on your heart and uh, yeah. you've got these things in place and you're still not sure, you know, what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, well, a former resident once called and he was really struggling because they had he and his his wife had determined that they want to be on the mission field mm. and every door they walked towards to get onto the onto the foreign mission field closed. And yeah. they were they were part of a missions organization that was doing training and and so they were putting they were in earnest, uh, following this direction and they just couldn't get placed and yeah. things weren't working out and he said, the longer this goes on, he said, the more I've been wrestling with this idea of like wanting to pastor a church, yeah. I think maybe the Lord's called me to do that. Mm. And he said, but I, I like we've, you know, we've declared previously we yeah, want to be yeah. on the mission field and we've taken steps towards that. And uh, he said, like, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. which one should I do? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not God. I yeah. can't, you know, there's no perfect yeah. And so I just yeah, I just said, you know, all things being equal. Like if you could snap your fingers and tomorrow you have exactly what you want to do, what would that be? And he said, I'd I I would want to be pastoring a church. And I said, Well, that's what you should do. That's that's the leading <laughs> of the spirit towards him. Yeah. And he was just like, Wait, is it that simple? I was like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I don't know what you're what you're looking yeah. for. I, I think if you're pursuing the Lord and you're and and he's not clearly mm-hmm. opening the door one way, yeah. but you have this desire for something that's good and godly yeah. and he's not telling you outright this is a sin or you shouldn't go that way. You know, like Augustine says, love God and then do what you want. Yeah. I mean, if you have that order right, yep. you know, do what you want. We get
1: a lot of that here at the seminary where Go guys, pastor, man. Yeah, guys come here, they train and they're like, I know I need, need to be a pastor. I just talked to a student recently. He said, actually, I've been here two years. I know really clearly I don't want to pastor. It's mm-hmm. not the calling. I'm actually going into another field. I know of another couple that were uh, went actually to the mission field six months in, realized it really wasn't something they, they were called to do. But then there's plenty of people that come here going, I don't know what to do. And sometimes you just have to say, have you had the internal? Yes. Have you had the external? Yes. Okay, go and do it. Just just get on with it. Try it. See it. And I agree with you. Love God and walk in his steps and he'll guide you wherever you're meant to be.
0: Uh, All right. Last question. This comes from John on Twitter. He says, (laughs) and we're going to end on this one, what threat does
1: Christian nationalism pose to the American church? Mm I have some thoughts, but I want to caveat with a <laughs> statement first You're okay. so something or someone is only a threat to the church if we allow it to be mm. so if we concentrate on first important things and remain resolute in them that actually we are uh, focused on Christ seeking to save the lost and we're we're less concerned about where our country is and more concerned about where souls are, then those outside issues don't play a significant threat to the church because the this Country, this earth, this this place we live, it's all going to burn, and it's all going to be replaced in the eternal realm. So, is it a threat only because we're making it a threat? Hmm. Does I that don't make sense? know what
0: threat. I, I don't know what is loaded in the yeah. word th- the word threat. I think it poses a threat. Well, first of all, do we agree that Christian nationalism is bad, disordered, not correct, yeah. unhealthy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, biblically, I don't think that it's no. it's the appropriate mission of, of the church, Agreed. which isn't to say that we're not to apply Christianity in every sphere of life that yep. we find ourselves in, yep. including the political world, that we should not be, if, if, if possible, electing godly yep. leaders and Christian leaders, but certainly voting in ways that do not violate our conscience mm-hmm. as shaped by the Holy Spirit. So this is not me saying, oh, that's a whole other world. We don't even bring Christianity to bear there. Yeah. But the pursuit of creating a Christian state um creating as 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 the mission of the church is to establish a uh, a theocracy of some kind or yeah. a Christian nationalistic state uh, biblically speaking it just is a foreign concept yeah. to the New testament mission of the church um I know the Christian nationalist guys um disagree with that, and that's fine. I disagree with mm-hmm. them um The threat to me is. It's not a bigger threat than any other distraction. <laughs>
1: nope, that, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> in, kind in some of ways, agenda. this
0: is, I, I know Christian nationalism idea isn't new, but this is just like the latest iteration yeah. of whatever fad comes around every few years. Um, I don't think this is going to be a huge emphasis in no. in the next you know five years. I could be wrong about that, but um, and I know like you know the you know theonomist guys and what have you are saying. oh, we're playing the long game anyway. Who cares? And, and that's fine. Ever, there's always something But there's something there. else. Every few years, yep. I, I think this is just the latest iteration of something. So it's a threat in the same sense that anything else, it's a distraction yes. from gospel-centered mission, fidelity to Christ, evangelism of the lost, global mission, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. <laughs> anything that's a distraction to those things is yep. is a threat. I don't think it's a threat to the church per se because Christ will build his church. Agreed. There's nothing that will threaten the church Agreed. in that way. I suppose it could be a threat to the church in the sense that it's really sort of preoccupied a lot of people. But I'm even going to say, despite the fact that we actually have people in elected positions who are some espousing things similar mm-hmm. to this, and we have people publishing books, including a lot of books against Christian nationalism, yeah. which, which I find really interesting, that I'm not convinced this is a huge—there's a lot of vocal guys on yeah. social media and— you know, maybe they have big platforms or yeah. big audiences, but even that is such a subset yeah. of evangelicalism in the States. Yeah. It's a subset of evangelicalism globally. It's like one splinter of one fracture. Yep. And maybe I'm deluding myself in saying that, but I don't think that I am. So I don't yeah, think it's... A, I,
1: just as you were talking, I think the only threat that I can think of that is... Rising with this, maybe not necessarily attached to Christian nationalism, but just really any distraction, is that the world can easily paint Christianity under those things. So I was just thinking yeah, about okay. that when we try to enforce a kind of political agenda or, or, or really any agenda that is not first importance things, we tend to loosen Christian character. So we'll fight, we'll get angry, we'll, we'll push hard, we march, we demand. You know, it's amazing how many Christian nationalists on Twitter and on social media, you just think, "Wow, you're vile!" in how you actually respond they to things—they can't even follow the law of God on no, Twitter. On Twitter, how exactly. are they going to implement <laughs> it on a national level? And, and you just think, <laughs> I, I want to say to people, that is not Christian character. That that is not how we win souls for Christ, and 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 we just loosen Christian character by by you know the the, the greater good is that we must have a Christian state, and so we can fight, we can march, we can. I, I, I read something about they were saying about arming military arming christians to take this as a christian state i'm just like great so what you've done is you've taken the great commission of gone spread the good news of jesus christ to let's military arm ourselves to make sure that this is a christian state i'm just like we have the order so wrong there yeah. now if america became a christian state because we have done our role and the great commission has spread to the point where 80% of this country is christian truly gospel centered I would still not make it a Christian state because I would still be saying there's the whole world to go and reach. Let's go. So I think there's a reality here of I'm way more interested in someone's soul and the 8.5 billion outside of this country that still don't know Christ or whatever it is than worrying about whether we can put a Christian banner on the country or not. Because I, I, I fundamentally believe this world will burn, the new heavens and the new earth will come, and it's the souls that will be there. Not the countries, not the flags, none of those things. The souls of those who have come to Christ. So I, I'm just going to go in on that, the Great Commission, and I'm just going to say this is only a threat if we let it make, become a threat. Yeah, I mean... It's quite kind of forceful. I didn't a, a, mean it to acknowledge,
0: be that Well, acknowledging that there are people who, you know, subscribe to post-millennial yeah. eschatology who would be theonomists of some kind and maybe they're sympathetic to the, mm. you know, the Christian nationalism idea uh, it, acknowledging that there's some people in that category who are good godly sincere people yeah. they hold this view okay acknowledging that that exists you have like the most vocal proponents at least that I've seen the most vocal proponents who do not appear to be able to even exemplify the the yep. law of god with their speech and with yeah. the way they you know they sit in the seat of scoffers and yeah and then the people that they assign their political aspirations to in the in the yeah. um in the world of governance tend to not be christians themselves yes. or if they are tend to every week be there's a new there's a new sexual scandal yeah. and the ones who are carrying the banner for them politically yeah. are, are a bunch of immoral you know degenerate you know folks so Even the likelihood of establishing this Christian state, the way they're going about it, doesn't seem like it would even be possible. So in that sense, I I don't see the threat except that if you're a local pastor, maybe you're seeing an influence in your congregation, and it's a threat for the hearts and minds uh, as any idolatry Mm -hmm. would be. And so I don't know that it's any more pronounced a threat than any other idol but it could be even more pronounced in your particular context, and therefore it's worth pastoring through and maybe yep. even preaching about. But I don't think every pastor, I don't know if this is the sort the, the impetus yep. for the question, but I don't think we need some big concerted effort nope. across evangelicalism to combat Christian nationalism because I just don't think it's that I would, huge. I would influence. actually say the opposite. I would say disengage. I think in our church, like, there would be some people who are socially, you know, social media engaged and are aware of this. Yep. But I think the
1: vast majority in our church would be like, Chris, what? Yeah. Gosh,
0: what is that? Don't, don't retweet <laughs> things. Don't
1: comment on things. Yeah. Uh, it's just a distract. Don't get in fights. They're so into it that nothing you say is going to change it. Just, yeah. I- I'm a big believer in it becomes a distraction when you get involved. I, just disengage. I, I'm not up on the latest Christian nationalist view because, frankly, if I'm blunt enough, I don't really care. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got the task set before me. Go and reach, go and preach, go and share the gospel. That that My task is there. I mean, a lot of ministry leaders, I think, would be more healthy if they...
0: Plowed their own field yeah. and stopped worrying about. That's what's a play going way of saying why I just said mind your own business, handle your affairs. Yeah, yeah There's some biblical words about yeah, that too. Absolutely. All right. If you enjoy the podcast, you're your listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you didn't like our answer about Christian nationalism, well, pray about it. Pray on it. Maybe the Lord will change your heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until next time, may Jesus above all things mm-hmm. be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.